Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 101. Week 101, volume 101, number fucking 101. How you going guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Rob of Chimera and the Elite, formerly also of Six Feet Under, and that will be coming up later in the show. Let's ramp things off with the single of the week, and it comes from Boston Hardcore Boy's Great American Ghost. The track is titled Altar of Snakes, and it's coming off their upcoming album titled Power Through Terror, which sees its release February 14th through E1 Records and Human Warfare. So this is the second single we've heard off this upcoming album, and both have been fucking outstanding. This has got some crushing groove in it. It is the kind of hardcore that goes for the throat and never lets go. And you can already tell just off two fucking singles, this album is going to be up there for an album of the year contender. Outstanding stuff. Crushing, heavy, groovy, sexy, mosh ready. I just can't get enough. I love this band. I love where they're going with this album. If you're a fan of bands like Kublai Khan, Left Behind, these kind of artists, you have got to check out Great American Ghost. So the song is called Altar of Snakes. The album is called Power Through Terror. You'll get that released February 14th. And the artist, as I've mentioned a few times, is Great American Ghost. Now also this week, if you've got some time and you haven't heard our chat with the vocalist Ethan That was episode 18. Make sure you go back and dive into the catalogue. Album of the week is technically the EP of the week and it comes from Antagonist AD. It's titled Through Fire and it's out now through Grayscale Records. This is fucking A-game hardcore from these guys. There's no filler, no bullshit. It's bruising hardcore. These guys are champions of the local Australian and New Zealand scene, and this release is another opportunity for the band to showcase their amazing mosh skills. They're also one of those bands that I love that on CD it sounds immense, but then when you go and see it live, it translates to the live setting as well. So stoked for these guys, really pumped to see what happens and what's next. So the release is called Through Fire by Antagonist AD. Make sure you check that out now. Now also, when you got some time this week, and if you haven't heard our chat with Sam, the vocalist from the band, make sure you go back. He was on episode 36. It's now time for our feedback reviews and what's been going on. First thing i got to say is thank you to everyone that shared last week's episode and thank you to everyone that gave us a kind word and a message to congratulate us reaching 100 episodes. I see you all, I noticed you all, and I appreciate you all. Special mention goes to David A. Lopez for all the massive amounts of love he gave us on his social medias. Thank you so much, brother. I look forward to connecting with you soon. Much love, much respect. Much appreciated. The other thing we got this week was an outstanding rating and review on our Facebook page. It comes courtesy of Maria. She said, The Mosh Zone is my favourite. Well-picked people and really good questions. 
When I've chosen the episode I need to hear, I always listen to the end, mostly without even hitting pause. Looking forward to a lot more coming. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, Maria, for the rating, the review, the kind words, and amazed and love to know that you not only enjoy the content and what we do, but that you get through an episode without hitting pause and you listen all the way to the end. I love it. That's exactly what I hope for with everyone that listens. And to know that people do means a lot. It also means a lot that you took the time to give us the rating and review. So much love, much respect, much appreciated. Now, the only other thing we got to do at the start of the show is the usual housekeeping. I know it's the usual, but we do it every week. It's, have you got time this week to give us a rating and review, whether that's on Facebook page like Maria, whether that's on iTunes podcast, just takes a minute, help us out, give us a rating and review. The other thing you can do to help us out this week is tell someone about the show or share the show on your social medias. All these little things like the ratings and reviews, the sharing, the spreading the word, it adds up. We notice it and we really, really appreciate it because it helps the show grow. So enough of my ramblings, enough of my jibber-jabber. Let's get into the part of the show we're all tuned into for. This week's guest is Rob of Chimera. And the first thing I'd say is thank you so very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Chimera are a band I think everyone should know by now, whether you know the name or not, but you should, without a doubt, know the music. Very iconic and legendary. They were at the forefront of the new wave of American heavy metal. They were formed in 98, dissolved in 2014 and Rob contributed to six albums. Chimera have always been a band I've loved, and I still do today. I listen to them on the regular, so to get Rob on the show meant a lot to me and the show. It was in-depth, it was intriguing, it was great, it was easy to do. It was a fucking amazing conversation. I'm so grateful to get him on the show. That chat with Rob is coming up now. So what I look to do to start off is, do you remember, uh, not necessarily a heavy artist, but do you remember an artist that opened your world to music being a thing in existence growing up? Hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I can't think of one particular. My parents were always big into music. My mom more into like, like, um, the oldies and the golden oldies, Elvis, stuff like that, um, you know, from like the 50s and 60s. And my dad was always a big classic rock fan from from the 60s and 70s, you know, the Who, the Doors, you know, Zeppelin, the Beatles, all that kind of stuff. So I feel like I got um, like I started noticing like rock and roll and stuff like that, just, you know, every time in the car with my dad and stuff. But I'd hear like more melody and things like that that I think had an effect on my, my tastes in music and all that too, for my mom too, with just, you know, more singing stuff or even going to church as a kid, hearing, hearing, uh, you know, this, the, whatever the organ music in church and stuff like that. I just always would pay attention, but I can't remember like a particular band until 
you know, I started hearing like Metallica and stuff like that, or, or maybe even my sister was a couple years older, and I'd hear like Def Leppard and Bon Jovi and stuff coming from her room, and I, I remember being stoked, but it wasn't until somebody was like, you know, you got to check out this Metallica band or hearing Megadeth or something where I was just like, oh my God. And then, you know, for, for most dudes like us, there's that, that kind of moment where it just never stops. You know, you want more, find out more, find out all the, all the old albums, everything like that. So I just have to say it probably have to be Metallica, you know, what, even though I was in the music before that. What brought you, I mean, apart from um, when you get older and you're into that style of music, but what about the initial sound of Metallica drew you in? Was it the energy? Was it the aggression? Was it a sense of, you know, did you feel like you were a bit of an outsider and this made you feel belonging? What drew you into heavier music? Because not everyone gets into it. It, You know, people like us, it takes something going on with that music that we connect with. Yeah. Um, ah. I don't, I never, I never like had the feeling of like an outsider and I connected with it like that. Um, anything like that. I don't, I don't, it was just cool. Like, uh, even seeing like, like my friends introducing me to bands like Van Halen and stuff like that. And just seeing those guitars, the colors of the guitars and just gear. I love, we'd ride our bikes up to the music shops and just like gear, the smell of gear, guitar pedals, drums, guitars hanging on the walls, just seeing all that stuff. Even still, dude, just just yesterday, I saw like just some picture of a of a guitar center, and you know, like uh, all those guitars on the wall. You know, you know I don't know if it's called, you guys have guitar centers, yeah, you yeah. must or something, yeah. something like that. Yeah, you know, but look at that huge wall with all those guitars. I just sat and like just stared at that. This is yesterday, stared at that, and got that same feeling that I got as a kid. So there was just something about like instruments and the sounds, and with Metallica, uh, you know, just yeah, the aggression, the energy. I didn't really. I never really paid attention to lyrics. Like, so lyrics never like really like speak to me, but I, I love the way lyrics sound. They sound awesome. You know, like, um, like I love deicide. I don't care that he's singing about like Satanism or anything like that, but they just sound awesome to me. So that's, I don't know, just things that sound super cool. I'm just drawn into, uh, for some reason, I wish I could be more specific. That's a great question. I don't know. I can't pinpoint exactly what it was. You know? So you mentioned in there, you know, you're drawn into, you know, the guitars and all of this at, at instrument shops. So what age were you when you decided that's what you wanted to do? You wanted to pick up a guitar. And then the second part of that was, was there any thought in your mind about maybe starting on a different instrument? Like, did you think maybe I'll give bass a go? Maybe I'll give drums a go? Uh, nothing ever. Um, the first I saw, I, I, my, my buddy in uh, third grade, I was eight years old. He had a guitar and he had a bunch of older brothers and, uh, they, there was gear all over the house and, um, Van Halen, like I mentioned, posters and maiden posters and stuff. And, um, and you know, I just saw all those guitars and then my friend played Panama for me and I was like, Whoa, that's awesome. And I went home, I told my mom, I gotta, I gotta start playing guitar. So I started taking lessons and got an acoustic and then, um, did you happen to see my latest episode of Everything You Love, episode ten? Mm-hmm. So that, that I just took it. I just I just took it back home. But that that neon yellow Tanara guitar, uh, you know, I probably got like six months after um, I started taking lessons with with that acoustic. And uh, no, never never looked back um, with with any other instruments or anything. I always loved. Actually, when I was even younger than that, I got I had one of those like super small like shitty like Toys R Us drum sets. Mm-hmm. So I like. 
I like banging on stuff and maybe like a little, a little Casio keyboard. I just like music and stuff like that. But once I saw the guitar and held one for the first time, I think that was, I, I, like I said, I, I never looked back. And I always knew I'd see like, you know, post or like in, in magazines or MTV videos of Metallica or Slayer or whoever, when you got the chance to see that stuff, because back then you barely could, it wasn't YouTube, obviously. So to see like a Sepultura video or something like that, you know, it, it it was awesome, you know? You'd tape that shit on VHS if you could, you know? <laughs> if Headbangers Ball was on, you know, stuff like that. So, but to see that stuff, I mean, you know, guys guys our age, around our age, you know, like that that was a special time, um, like MTV and Headbangers Ball and all that. And the, the thing that was happening to music and stuff, that um, that was just awesome. And I know we all feel touched a certain way by that and stuff. You know? And obviously your parents were, you know, supportive, but, I mean, did they completely back you with your passion for music? Did they just say, look, Rob, just just do what you want to do as long as it makes you happy? Or were they a bit reserved about it and being like, look, you know, still study, still focus on your books kind of thing? The latter. They they, they always wanted me to to focus on, you know, going to college and, and doing that, that sort of thing. And I never had any interest in that. They didn't like hearing that, you know, they would say, well, at least, you know, when you're old enough to try. And I, I always would say, I don't want to, you know, I either want to um, play music or just start working. And, and that's, that's what I did. But they were always, they were always super supportive, but they always tried to instill have some sort of backup plan because, you know, music is, you know, it could be like winning the lottery or something. And they were right. You know, and I did win the lottery. I got super lucky that just happened to meet the group of guys that, you know, had I not met those guys, you know, because I think a band is is chemistry, you know, in, in every way, you know. So, um, but anyways, again, they were they were super great. Uh, you know, if I if I needed anything, like guitar, like, hey, I want a new pedal and stuff. All right, well, go cut the grass and we'll get you one or something. You know what? <laughs> just, just whatever. They were, they were supportive, but yeah, they're, they're both smart and they both... Uh, have educations and, and, um, you know, they, that's what they wanted for me. But, and then obviously once, once I hit 18, 19, things started taking off and they, they realized, all right, you know, we've done all we can to, uh, help guide him. And he's on this path. that's obviously going cool right now. And a lot of exciting things are happening. Oh my God, our son is touring the world in a heavy metal band. You know, I mean, I've never even stopped and thought exactly what that must've been like for them at the time. You know, like if they were like, wow, this is awesome. Or if they were worried, you know, I'd be worried if my, kids were you know across the world and i didn't talk to them for two weeks or something you know uh so um yeah just cool but yeah they they were great supportive all that what with your um you know you mentioned in there you know your love for metallica slayer pantera sepultura um growing up you know before you really you know kicked off in chimera what was it like with you developing your style um, and your sound that you preferred, was it a case of process through elimination or were you doing like a lot of people probably don't like to admit, but it usually is as a kid, you look to, you know, the Eddie Van Halen's, you look to the James Hetfield's and you say, I want to do that. So you start doing that. Like, what was it like for you developing skills and talents in your early years playing guitar? Um, well, I gravitated towards, uh, you know, a group of friends that they were, had the same interests, obviously. And, um, you know, every day after school was about just getting together and uh, just getting in the garage and, and playing music or other dudes' bedrooms or whatever, you know. Some dude had drums or, um, you know, 
Um, and then and learning the tab books, you know, like there was that music story I said we'd ride our bikes to, you know, when you could get, her, get your hands on a Ride the Lightning book or something, and then we could go back and somebody could play the rhythm, the fade to black, and somebody could play the lead. And, and there, there's nothing like that feeling to me of like when you get it, you know, and, and working on it. And, and uh, are you, you, you a musician yourself? X, X, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you don't hear that too often. Okay. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, maintain an interest, right? So, but uh, um, you know what I'm saying, though, dude. That there's just something special when you when you when musicians connect on a level and play something that maybe you've been working on or something. That feeling, and that's what I thrive on. Um, and so, back then, you know, you know, I was I don't know that I was intentionally striving for something, but just my love for doing that every single day helped develop my style. The books that, that I learned, like the Metallica books, the, the, the Megadeth books, stuff like that, obviously had a huge impact on my playing and how my style developed and stuff. Had I learned Ingve solos, which I never did, uh, you know, my style would be different than learning all Kirk Hammett solos sort of thing. So I think it's just, just kind of what's around at that time and um, that, that I think that kind of helps develop player styles. Well, I think it's a, it was a, a whole different world then. I mean, you know, I'm the same age, ballpark, and I remember that time with music, it was very different to now um, with influences, industry, you know, discovering music and everything. What was it like for you discovering music? Were you very, um, very much like a sponge? You Once you found that, you went to another one, and then once you absorbed that, you went to another one. Like going from Metallica to chimera sounds um there must have been a bit of transition in your discovery like it couldn't have just been metallica the whole time and sepultura no. so, so how do you go with your absorption of heavy music well obviously your friends like you know you'd have a friend that'd be like hey you got to check out this band sepultura and they make you a tape and you could check it out and then and then if you liked what you hear maybe on that mixtape you go down the rabbit hole you know i, I remember the, the first the first songs i heard from sepultura were uh chaos ad songs mm. and then then I, so I went to like the record store, like the night, you know, whatever, a few days later, whatever. And the only tape they had was Beneath the Remains. So you get that one. And then, you know, so I, I didn't know about a rise for a while. And, just, you know, so you just skip around like that. Um, also, uh, I'm sure you guys had something like this, but but in the States, when I was when I was young, we had uh, something called BMG or Columbia House. And they'd send you these flyers like, you know, uh, 10 CDs for the price of one. You got, did you get those things? Yeah, we you know, had kind of. Yeah, it was close to. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you, so you, you, there was this list of what they had, and you could be like, oh, obituary, that sounds cool, you know, or something <laughs> like that, because you, you didn't really know, you have no idea what it's going to be like, or maybe somebody recommended something to you or whatever, but, I mean, that's how I heard Pantera for the first time, Vulgar Display of Power, and it was a little little uh, um, thumbnail, I don't even know if they were called thumbnails at the time, <laughs> whatever, but, but, you know, that guy getting punched and said Pantera, Vulgar Display of Power, and I was like, that's cool, so you just get it, some things were busts, you know, like... Uh, this was funny. I remember. I remember getting a Skid Row beside ourselves. Do you happen to remember that? It was yes. It, it was beside ourselves. I didn't know what a B side was. I didn't even you know. So B sides generally aren't songs that, that aren't good enough to make the album or whatever, you know. And I remember thinking, oh, this is a bust. I, I, like a, it, I, it wasn't that great or whatever. But you get slayed to the grind or something like that, you know. It, it was awesome. So it was the luck of the draw with those things, you know, when you're just ordering. So that's how I discovered a lot of stuff, you know. And the old thing, you know, even seeing. Um, I can't think of an example right now, but, uh, you know, on the back of, a, let's say, an obituary CD, maybe the guy's wearing a death shirt. Oh, shit, what's death? You know, and so you get it. You know, just Roadrunner. You know, if it was on Roadrunner, it was cool, you know, so. 
It was, and it, it was kind of also a lot of the time was you'd spend that money on that album or cassette and you knew that you had to pretty much get into it because I've committed this $10, $20, whatever it is to this. I'm going to like this. It might take you a week, might take you two months, but eventually you're going to enjoy it. It was quite a different time. I remember going to CD stores and doing the same based on label, based on artwork, just buy it. doesn't matter. I'm going to like this eventually. Um, and then when you yep. get to the 2000s, you started getting a little bit more mature about it and selective, but it was a very different time. Um, so kids, the fact that you got everything at your fingertips, um, take advantage of it. It's very different now. For sure. And it's depressing as a music maker, you know, to know that, that there's just so much available and that that doesn't exist anymore. There isn't like, oh, I, I have this album I need to I need to cherish it and, and perhaps wear it out a little bit or at least give it the time of day. It's now everything's just skip, skip, skip if you don't like it, you know. And and I I, I can't resist that or whatever because it's not going away or whatever, but it is depressing as as, as a music maker to know that, uh, you know, yeah, that, that it was a glorious time for us then, you know, when we could sit and look at the artwork and all that meant something. Now does it really mean something? No, because nobody's going to open up that booklet, you know. I mean, maybe a few people here and there. Like yourself, of course, mm-hmm. still buy a CD here and there and stuff like that, you know. So for the few that, that will see that stuff, it's it's still worth it, but it uh, just doesn't have that same that same impact that it, that it did back in the day, obviously. Yeah, and obviously to some people they think, oh, look at these two old fogies talking about the heyday. No. It, 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 I, but it kind of, it is, you know, I feel very blessed also to have experienced the time that we grew up in with Discovery. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it makes things a bit different. I want to change gears into um, starts of bands. So uh, you were in a band before Chimera. Um, was that um, is, is that correct? Uh, yeah, but I mean, just like a high school band. Yeah. But yeah. I was with Andals, uh, mm-hmm. the Chimera's drummer, with a band called Sanctum, and um, you know, we, we were in high school, like uh, probably sixteen, seventeen years old, um, and. You know, we we would play shows locally around just local shows or whatever. And Mark and Jim were in a band together called Skip Line, and uh, Matt DeVries and our original guitarist Jason Hagar were in a band called Ascension together. And so our bands would kind of play together. But those guys were a little bit older, so we would look up to them. They were doing bigger things. They had more people at their shows. Um, even uh, Todd Bell, the guy that made all our our, our videos and, and photo shoots and all that, he and Garrett Zunt, who's also designs our some of our album covers and stuff like that they were in another band from our same city our, our city our little city of strongsville ohio had a bunch of bands it was a great time you know and and then really it was um just a few guys from each of those bands that were that wanted to do it for real that were willing to to drop everything that, that you put your you know your job and hanging out and stuff with friends and stuff like that that's come second so me andals mark you know, uh, Jason Hagar at the time, um, you know, we said, we're going to do this for real. And that's how Kamira, Kamira was almost like a super group of the local bands from the guys that said, we're going to do whatever it takes to make this happen or whatever, you know. And that's a mindset we had coming into it, too, um, where everybody was at practice at five o'clock, 
five nights a week. If, if your, if your job got in the way, you need to move it before practice, or we're going to find somebody that can do that, you know? And, and at the same time, you can't just blow off work because you need to have your rent money for this. You need to have gear, all, all this kind of stuff. We were doing it for real, you know? And that, I think that type of mentality, um, separated us from the band neck in the, in the practice space next door or whatever, who didn't make it, you know, sort of thing. Was that was that was that something you guys um, knew what what you had to do to make it, or was that something that um, you were told to do? Because not a lot of bands at that age know that they have to literally, in a way, sacrifice everything to really give it a go. Because if you want to give it a go, you got to put all the dice in. You got to go all in. Otherwise, you're not going to make it. Yep. Yeah, it's, a, it's an extremely slippery slope. Uh, there wasn't a, a any type of roadmap. There wasn't some group of older guys saying, here's what you guys had to do. I think it was just the passion, really the passion for it. And, and maybe in hindsight now, seeing um, that the, every time we'd go the additional mile, we'd make it a little farther up the mountain. Oh, that worked. Let's try this. I mean, we would sit around and watch like, like Slayer... Uh, uh, videos, uh, you know, like, uh, what's, what's that one? Uh, not, not divine intervention, but, uh, live intrusion mm. or, you know, that, that was that, uh, that video around that time or a machine head videos, um, stuff like that. And just see what they were doing live. And we would study that stuff and, and be like, all right, we want to look pro. We need to do this kind of stuff. I remember Mark, one of Mark, well, the first practices going down, uh, with Mark, him saying, um, I don't know much about kiss. I'm, I'm not a big kiss fan or whatever, but he, he, he'd say kiss, they weren't that popular, but they would still have a ton of pyro and still put on the makeup. And then they happened to put out this live record that, uh, you know, they, then they dubbed in huge crowd uh, applause and stuff like that. And people thought they were big and they got big and they worked at it and they did those things. And so we had that mentality early on, too. A light bulb went off in my head when he said that. I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. You know, we're going to look pro every show. We're going to have a great attitude and show up and just destroy the place and spend money on good recordings and not showing up with broken symbols. You know, we're going to have the right stuff. Um, you know, just all, we just started doing all these little things and it, it added up and opportunities started coming and then dealing with those opportunities and um, was, was another phase of it, you know? Well, also, I mean, obviously the writing and the music you were making was obviously a step up and a step up because there was uh, the demo or two and then there was this Present Darkness EP. Now, during that time, um, were you constantly feeling like there was momentum growing, not only with uh, fan base going on and shows, but did you also feel like the music was going in the right direction? Yeah, that's an, an important point that that I didn't even comment on, that your music has to be great. Because even if you take all the right steps, but your music sucks, it's going to be quite a setback. Mm. Um, so, um, yeah, even though you know everyone knows, oh, your music has to be great, you can't just make it great. You try your hardest. Um, and but, but certainly good feedback, like well-attended shows and people singing along and things like that was some sort of... Um, um, indication for us that perhaps we were heading in the right direction. So, but Mark was, was very, um, he was a go-getter, you know, he was constantly calling people to try to get shows, trying to trade shows with people out of town, other like hardcore metal bands from different cities and stuff like that. And we were going out there and, um, doing stuff and, and seeing more people show up, seeing more people buy the merchandise, seeing, uh, people singing along, 
we were just like, all right, this is kind of working. And, um, you know, we were just writing and, and I, I say this, I say this a lot of times that like, I'm just like every other guitar player. I'm just lucky that people like my riffs and DeVries is lucky that, that we loved his riffs too. Let me just mute this. Sorry. Here. All right. Um, people loved his riffs and people happen to love Mark's vocals. And just that combination, uh, people find Andal's drumming special, you know, and Jim's energy and, and all that. And just those, we just had these, this right set of ingredients that you can't just put together. It just happened to happen like that. So my point is, is that you can hope that you have these right ingredients and you could try to be smart about weeding out the week and getting the proper ingredients in there, or what you think are the proper ingredients. And then if you have those things, you start doing all the ex extracurricular things that I mentioned previously, and all that is just a better recipe for success. You have just a better chance for opportunities to come your way. Well, one of the big opportunities that helped clearly launch you guys was Roadrunner Records with you know your Roadrunner debut, Pass Out of Existence. Now, some people who grew up around that time may or may not remember that Roadrunner was in 2000, 2001, and even in the 90s as well, it was one of the biggest labels out there. It was it was huge. I mean, the bands on the roster, the, the albums coming out. Um, first part is how did you link up with Roadrunner and did signing to Roadrunner uh, give any pressure for you guys? Did you feel like, okay, now we have to again step up or did you feel like, all right, this is what we need, this is what we deserve? Um, so the, how we hooked up with, um, I, uh, we had, we had first inked an independent deal, um, with a, a label called, uh, East Coast Empire. And, uh, there was, there was a band from Cleveland called Integrity and they were on East Coast Empire and Mark talked to the singer Dwid and just said, Hey, can you pass the label our demo? Uh, at the time in which he did. And um, so they ended up signing us. I think they were out of Connecticut. And uh, and so he pressed our first CD, This Present Darkness, and that went well. We were just moving a lot of those and momentum was building. And from there, we ended up hooking up with with our, a manager, Chris Bacuza, our, our keyboard player. Um, he knew a guy from L.A., this guy, Tom Hazart. And um, Tom Hazart was supposedly hooked into everything. Um, he had like a, uh, like a management company and, um, promotion company. And he, he was the guy, the guy in Los Angeles that, that knew people at Roadrunner and, and, uh, and Virgin and all, whatever, all the Epic and all that kind of stuff. And so he was able to set up a showcase for us, um, which is a showcase is when you go and play a show just for record executives. Anybody can come to the show, I guess, you know, what they want, but it's one place where record rec execs can get together and watch your performance. Um, and so we did one of those, uh, maybe even a couple of them, maybe in New York city and in Los Angeles, and it didn't really go anywhere. Um, some, some roadrunner people came out and saw us. Um, but it wasn't for months and months and months later. Uh, maybe we did another showcase and another label was interested in us. I don't remember what it was. It was maybe universal or something, but a big, it was a big major label, but we wanted to be on roadrunner. So what we did was is we went back to Roadrunner and said, we're about to sign this deal with Universal or whoever it was. I can't remember right now. Uh, what do you think? And then they signed us right there. So uh, so it took <laughs> it took you know somebody else wanting to get involved with us for them to be like, all right, you know. Um, so then that happened and that was just the best, you know, just getting a record deal and just 
reading it over. Like, I mean, like even like our East Coast Empire deal was a sheet of paper and it had some stuff on there. And we all decided where the Roadrunner deal was like, you know, like a hundred pages thick and all this stuff. You didn't even know you didn't, you couldn't even tell what it said, all this legal mumbo jumbo and stuff, but you just sign it, whatever, here we go, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> um, so that, that was, that was totally awesome. Um, you know, we, out of that, it was just a dream come true. There was a, a budget. We got a brand new van and trailer and went to guitar center and just spent a bunch of money on gear. And I mean, and then just, you know, the power of that, you know, getting you on tours with all sorts of other roadrunner bands, things like that. So, but then the pressure did step up. Yes, because, um, record sales were very important then. And first week record sales were very important, meaning like, you know, the very first week it has to do well. And that's sometimes a, a you know, a, a radar for how well the record's going to do. And so, I think the record sold something like 4,500 records the first week or whichever, which in a lot of ways is, is fantastic, but was considered a disappointment uh, to Roadrunner, you know, for, because, and it's, it's based on how much money they pumped into the band in terms of the recording and the manufacturing of the CD and all the advertisement promotion. So let's say they spent half a million dollars on that and then, uh, you know, only sell 4,500 records the first week, um, you know, that's, it's very scary for a label. So, but still, we went out there and worked it quite a bit, and um, which gave us the opportunity then to make the impossibility a reason. And um, you know, we we were going to switch gears on there, and then things turned around uh, for the impossibility because that just had a lot more a lot more success. Um, so, but that was kind of the early days. Yeah, there, there there was definitely pressure back then. Yeah, that that you know, everyone that knows Chimera knows that album. Like that album um, is kind of considered the cult classic um in many ways um it also started getting you guys labeled as one of the new wave of american heavy metal bands um you were mm -hmm. one of those bands in there with you know well, shadows fall god forbid kill switch lamb of god all of these ones um yeah i know you covered it previously and especially on episode 10 you talked about the difference in the styles but uh, between uh, pass out and impossibility talking about the difference in the styles but when impossibility came out did you feel it was a launch pad of an album or did you kind of feel it was just really well done let's see what happens because that album is really back to front it's you know everything in this album's insane like you just look at all the tracks power trip down again pure hatred crawl stig murder i mean it's just it's an insane album. What was it like at the time when you wrote it and then released it? Um, you know, I didn't I didn't really think that it was going to be like, oh, my God, this is special. This is going to be it. I, I, I love everything we created. I, I thought Pass Out was special and was mm -hmm. going to be fantastic. The same that I thought about Impossibility, the same that I thought about Self-Titled, the same that I thought about my Elite record, the same that, you know, everything. Everything I do... Um, that I'm a part of, I'm super proud of, or else I'll kick and scream, scream about whatever I don't like until I'm proud of it, you know, sort of thing. Uh, so I, I just felt as good about it as I did with Pass Out. But going back to what I said about getting lucky about people liking it, that's just what happened. For some reason, people like this. I, I, I put as much, we, we put as much effort in everything that we did with Pass Out, but it just were different results due to a different time, due to all that, due to, I kind of wanted to go in a, in a thrashier, heavier direction. And so I started writing riffs like that. And, and um, Mark and Matt were right on board and they were doing the same. And it just felt right. And that's just the direction that we went in uh, to make those songs. And yeah, it ended up just 
being something that everybody likes. Don't know how or why. <laughs> well, I think it's also exciting that when you look through the whole discography, also every album is a bit different. Um, you know, the the change from Impossibility to Self-Titled, which I'm still surprised didn't uh, get bigger than it was. It, it felt like you guys were really taking a bit of extra time. You know, there was a bit more maturity in the sound in a sense that the songs felt a lot more in-depth. Um, they went a little bit longer. There was more things going on. Uh, but it felt like, from an outsider who was a big fan of the band since I heard Pass Out of Existence, it felt like it, whether it was label pushing or just critics or fans, that one felt like nobody got it. Everyone was like, yeah, it's good, but I don't really get it. Yeah. In my opinion, that's due to the depth of it and that, I, I I don't think any of our stuff really is immediate, oh, my God, like right off it. It takes a little bit to – I mean, this is just my opinion. You may disagree. But especially on the self-titled, it takes a lot of listens. It takes, you know, that that um, that investment on the listener's part to, to hear what's going on. And once you do, it's like, like Opeth or something like that. You know, to a casual listener, those 10, 12-minute kind of weird songs or whatever, but – once you once that sinks in and you realize it's greatness or whatever, it's fucking great, you know. So um, I I knew I knew that self-titled was 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 going to be something that people liked. I knew it was going to take a long time for it to sink in. I don't think it took it. I didn't think it was going to take as long as it did. Which I mean, just hearing you know now even fifteen later, just hearing how much people like that album. So it's taken this long, you know, or maybe 10 years or whatever like that. But um, the label so- certainly didn't get it right at first. They didn't like the longer songs. They didn't like how, um, you know, they wanted more down agains and wham, bam, thank you, ma'ams, like Power Trip, Pure Hatred, stuff like that. And um, I personally was just wanting to get a little more progressive, a little deeper with everything, um, darker. I wanted to get away from down agains and stuff. I wanted to, uh, you know, write these what I thought were going to be epic compositions, you know, like uh, I wanted to write more and justice for all type material, you know, um, with just complexity and, and all that. And I, that's what I was trying to, to strive for and, and how I was trying to push the band in that direction. Um, some guys were totally on board right away. Some guys weren't, but we were kind of just in this place where we didn't know exactly what to do or what we wanted to do coming off of the impossibility reason. It was time to make another record. Um, so we just, we just did that and went in this direction and didn't really, consider any outside elements and then it came time for, for the release or, or to, to present that to the to the label um and yeah they were they were stumped and of like oh this isn't really what we were expecting from you guys or whatever but you know they could see and hear the passion in our voices as we spoke about it and talked about all this and um and i think because that it wasn't what they were expecting perhaps um the it was harder for them to promote. You know, when you're really excited about something, it's easy to talk about it. It's easy to get, try to get people into it and stuff like that. But I think because we threw them for a loop, perhaps they were just kind of like, all right, well, we'll, we'll just kind of see what happens with this. You know, we're going to be cautious with our spending in terms of promotion and things like that. I'm imagining that, that that's that's what the case was. And a lot of time, too, if a label and promotion companies, advertisements are shoved down people's throat, a lot of the time they, they'll take the time to accept it. And stuff like um, everybody listens to Slipknot because there's just so much about Slipknot when it comes out. There's so much. So if there isn't a lot of that, perhaps people are just going to take their time or maybe casually listen or maybe just let it pass by or whatever. So I think that maybe 
kind of what happened with the self-titled. Well, I think it is. Like, you know, you mentioned there, like the marketing is quite important, especially back then, because there were the casual casual listeners who, if they didn't see a promotion or know about it, it probably wasn't going to pop onto their radar um, unless they were really into it. But if they saw it in their face quite often, they'd go, oh, shit, better get the new Chimera when it comes out on November whatever or whatever it was. Um, it it kind of... It, for, for me, it felt like it wasn't backed, and I was annoyed because, you know, there was a few tracks straight off for me, um, I Love, which, I mean, obviously Salvation and Nothing Remains, but the album, everyone that listens to it now who's friends of mine who are Chimera fans all agree that it's just it's a fucking 10 out of 10. It's just one of those <laughs> albums. You just can't you can't go past it. Um, it was an interesting It was an interesting step for you guys, though, to switch out of Roadrunner, you at the time were leaving um, a massive label and you jump into Ferret, which was also for us in Australia was Nuclear Blast because the distribution distribution in Australia was through Nuclear Blast. Um, Right. That album Resurrection for Ferret, Nuclear Blast, felt like there was new energy. Um, You were all back in on this. Some lineup changes happened. First thing, label change, forced or through decision? And secondly, did it feel like it was time to kick things up a gear with a new album, a new cycle, et cetera? Um, well, I think that the the lack of marketing and all that, uh, I knew that the self-titled was worth more than perhaps, um, you know, the promotion that was being put into it. And so it was, I just started making a stink about trying to get off of Roadrunner. I didn't think that they were, were doing all they could to make it, to make it happen for us. Um, and, and in hindsight, I just wasn't being patient enough. Um, but, you know, I was young and dumb and, you know, just had a total fire to push forward with all this crazy stuff was happening uh, for us, you know, cool tours and cool things. And, um, great shows and festivals and all this. And, and I thought, wow, if, you know, if, if more people knew about the record or whatever. So I said, I just thought, well, the obvious thing is to, to get off a of rotor and, and, and try again. And so, you know, just kind of, okay, leave that album. Let's just start a new one, but with, with a fresh uh, perspective, a fresh label that'll, that'll pump it and all that. Um, and so that's kind of how we set our sights. And simultaneously, um, Andals came back to the band right then. Things didn't really work out towards the end with with Kevin, um, just kind of Kevin Talley, um, kind of some just some inner struggle, you know, between some members and uh, and so we weren't gonna like fire him right away. But then Andals, you know, I don't know if we just saw him one day or we're talking to him one day, and he's like, yeah, you know, I'd. I'd I'd love to, to play again. I'm feeling good again. And because uh, he had initially left the band because he wasn't sure that he that the lifestyle was for him after a couple of years of of tons of shows and, and going overseas and all that. He thought, um, you know, maybe I should uh, I should be back home and stuff like that. But after a couple of years passed again, he realized that his place was behind the kit and he said he was going to come back. So that was kind of like, um, oh, all right. Well, things aren't going super great with Tally at the time. Andal wants to come back. Let's just do this. Boom, you know, there's a story that comes with that. Uh, so that was fresh for the label. Um, you know, the old fold was back because all of us, like I said, kind of grew up together 
you know, a bunch of us went to high school together and we're this tight knit We're it's, we're resistant to, to outsiders and all that work, but Andals is, so was that he was back. The brotherhood was back all the joking around the same old stuff, all the inside jokes were back and it was just a fun writing experience, new label, a fresh insurgence of, of energy from the label and hope and, uh, um, marketing commitments and videos and just all that and everything just felt really good. And I think the energy of, of that, uh, those good vibes uh, came through in, in the music for us. It was also an interesting time because from that album to the infection was when the industry started to really change. You know, things were starting to shift gears, not only with sales, but online things. Um, streaming hadn't really kicked off. It was starting to develop. Um, is this when you started to feel um, pressure within the band from, you know, what you were going to do as a band with merch, marketing, um, CDs and stuff? Because I remember in the infection, felt like things were starting to um, dip down for the band, I remember, because, you know, I've seen docos and stuff, and it, it, it does. It looked like things were starting to get too much for you guys, you you know, you're going and going and going, and now it feels like there's too much fighting against you. Yeah, probably better album sales would have cured a lot of things, you know, <clears throat> whether it was inner turmoil or, um, you know, labels, if, if albums aren't selling well, you know, they, they're going to kind of uh, pull back in some areas, you know, which just all, all has a an accumulative effect. Uh, if you're not spending money on on marketing and things like that, it's not like the albums are going to pick up in sales. They're only going to continue to decline. Um, so, I think that that album too, the infection, was quite a change for us. All of a sudden, just slower and sludgier. Um, and I think that that was kind of like that kind of threw the fans for a loop as well. Um, but at that time, we were doing some of the biggest tours. Um, I'd have to say the 09, 08, 09 was probably the most profitable time for the band in terms of how the business was thriving and all that. And so when that started to drop off because of the industry, the climate, perhaps the music wasn't as good, um, that's, you know, once you're at a certain point, when you start coming down, let's say, falling back down the mountain, Fingers are getting pointed. Arguments are happening more. Um, yeah, just people are a little more bummed. All of a sudden, that that excitement and that feel good being on cloud nine starts to dissipate. Um, and so, yeah, that was that whole that maybe the end of the infection, the mid to the end of the infection cycle may have kind of been the start of the you know the beginning of the end. Well, um, for the classic Camaro. Yeah, and it was it it was interesting because. When around the time of Age of Hell was around the time not long after that you left, you know, there was quite a bit of shifts in gears going on with guys leaving the band. At the time, I remember when you left, it was just said for personal reasons, um, without getting too personal about your personal reasons. Um, obviously, was it was it time for you to refresh and take a step back? Was it time for you to? Uh, look at other avenues you know where were you mentally and emotionally at that state with leaving the band because that's a big decision it'd been your baby you know for a long time at that stage yeah um i never thought that i could leave the band i was too heavily rooted in and in, in just every single way um 
all the obvious ways in terms of the music and all that. But then also, uh, I did I just handled a lot of the business stuff for Camira as well. We all had our parts. Um, but um, you know, I thought I thought when Jim first said that he was going to leave uh, at the end of the the infection cycle, and he was just kind of he was kind of experiencing the same type of thing that Andals was earlier on, where he was like. I mean, Jim's a diehard. He loved playing. He loved touring and everything like that. But I think that that maybe the 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 decline in success at the time and the inner turmoil wasn't for him anymore. And he's he's a, a professional barber. He was before, and he always had a dream of opening up his own shop, um, which he's done now. And so I think that that those signs were for him at, around that time was like, like the time to get out. And um, and then. Chris went next, and Chris and Jim were really good friends of the band. You know, um, I, I I don't know if that's important in, in the story, but uh, um, you know he was getting fed up as well. And so at that point, when the the ship started sinking in that thing, Mark and I kind of rallied and, and said, "All right, you know, we we had, instead of loathing in that, we're going to press on. We're going to keep doing this." And Matt was still on board. Um, we'll get new guys, and we had just come off a tour with Dot and and made friends with those guys, and so. It just happened to work out nicely. We got three Doth guys. Uh, was it Sean Z, Amel, and uh, who's the other one? No. Oh, and then well, it was Austin. Sorry, on drums. Oh, that same time, Andals. Um, when it came time after the infection, um, we kind of felt that that he wasn't totally into it, and we wanted to push things to another level. And Andals, are you on board for that? If you're not, let us move forward with somebody that is or commit to this next phase, um, whatever it's going to be, but we're going to make one last huge push here just to see if we could turn it around with a positive viewpoint and all that. And uh, at that point, Andal said, I think it'd be better if I stepped aside. I don't have the energy for it anymore. Um, you've got this guy, Austin, in the cut who's, um, who's ready to go. And we were like, okay. So, um, so Mark and I were ready to do it. Uh, but I think the reality of the situation after that, how much had changed how much was different in terms of how we were going to make the, the age of hell. Um, just, just everything surrounding us in our environment started to create a lot of friction for us. Um, and I didn't like the way the age of hell was being made, went against everything that I thought was thinking about how, how albums should be made. Um, and I think just the, the, everything just became too, too depressing. And it came to a point for me where, it just wasn't fun anymore. I couldn't really take it anymore. Mark and I weren't getting along. It was difficult for to be on the road. Um, and I just finally made the decision that I had to get out. And it wasn't to, to do music or anything like that. I, I had a little backup plan, too. I wanted to um, just build a recording studio with my own two hands and just keep working on music every day. So that was a little bit of motivation for me. I would, I would have preferred that... <clears throat> that none of that ever happened, that Camira was still going strong with all the guys and everything like that. But I did have that where, okay, I could, um, I could just go do that. So that made the decision slightly easier. Um, but, um, but yeah, there was just, just a little bit of ugliness towards the end. And so, um, you know, the statement was made that for personal reasons, because neither of us, nobody was interested in, in, you know, getting in anything, some fight publicly or anything like that. It was just kind of, okay, this is it sort of thing. And, um, and then he took it to another level where I'm going to push on and got, uh, replacement for me and Matt and all that. And, um, he, he pushed through as hard as he could with it. And it's just, I think around the end of 09 and stuff, once the, once the wheels started coming off, it was, 
we just got, it just got ran into the ground. Did, I mean, that's got to, I mean, you know, you obviously in hindsight made the right decision, not only for yourself, but just for the overall scheme of things that, you know, you left when the time was nigh kind of thing. But did that hurt you um, emotionally? You know, you've basically, it's your baby. You've worked so hard. You've got it to the point, And now you have to say goodbye to it because personally, if my thought would be, I'd be a little bit understandably frustrated, annoyed, uh, but I'd also be a little bit depressed at the fact that you can't save it. There's only so much you can do to revive it and then eventually you have to let it go and that would kind of make me go, you know, shit, fuck, you know, that sucks. Oh, yeah. Now, it, was, it was a lot worse than shit, fuck, that sucks too. Mm. Let me tell you, yes, I was, uh, I was destroyed. Definitely the worst part of my life, uh, you know, just those – that time period actually leaving. And then I couldn't, I couldn't think about it. I had to turn it off. It was the only way I could deal with it. I had to turn it off completely. I didn't think about or talk about anything, uh, Kamira for, for five years, um, until, um, talk about the reunion started coming up and Mark and I hadn't even spoken throughout that entire time. Um, but Jim started communicating kind of between us and Jim said, Hey, let's, let's try to do this and do a reunion and stuff. And, um, so that took a year and a half, two years to even put all together. And once it did, it's just been so good for everybody because um, all the, everything's kind of water under the bridge at this point, by, bygones are bygones. And now doing everything that I'm doing right now uh, with my Everything You Love show and all this kind of stuff, I think I hadn't thought about it exactly like this until this very moment, but it's kind of like all the bottled up, my bottled up passion for Kamira that I smothered for five years is coming back out now. And it really feels good to see how, you know, how much people are enjoying it and the love that they've had for it and the connection that they've had with, with, with Kamira throughout their life. Um, all from all the tattoos to the record collections, like you showed me and just all those things. Um, so it's, it's really cool that the kind of fan base is being revitalized in a sense, not necessarily with what they want, which is new music and tours and all that. Um, now I'm not saying that won't happen, but, um, but it's cool kind of just to be reflecting with everyone around the world about it right now, you know? Well, it's also got to be, and it's also got to be positive that, you know, it, there was the period where there was no communication or really talking, but it must be positive now to know that, you know, there mightn't be new music, there mightn't be tours, but at least everyone kind of, is it a good place with everyone in some way or shape or form? Um, now when you speak of new music and stuff, a question I had was, have you guys since you kind of done the reunion show in 2017. Have you ever been approached or has there been ideas of doing anniversary tours? Because it's kind of a thing nowadays that some bands maybe get together and do a 10 year anniversary tour of a certain album or a 15 or a 20. Is it something you guys have been approached? Um, and then would you do it if you were ever approached? Um, yes, there, there's, we've been approached for certain things. There's been certain offers that, you know, we all talk amongst ourselves and um, I, the idea of, of trying to restart things uh, comes up all the time. The reality of it is, and I don't really under, expect anyone to completely understand this, but um, it's, it's just a lot harder than you think. There's so much involved. Um, and so uh, an analogy I use sometimes, if you have a, an old coal burning locomotive, it's so heavy. The wheels are rusty. It hasn't been oiled. And you can you can shovel a ton of coal in there. You can get it lit and stuff like that. Okay. You could get it lit. 
It's still not moving. You know, you got to keep shoveling it in there. You keep pushing. All right. So finally, this thing moves maybe a tiny bit, but still you need cars and cars of coal and guys willing to shovel to keep it going. All right. And to get it up a little bit, maybe it's going one mile per hour, you know, but to get it going 30, 40, 50 miles an hour fast with the way the train is just cooking, which is what we need to be out there tearing it up on the stages or whatever takes a shitload, you know, it just takes a lot. So I feel like once every six weeks, somebody calls somebody that there's some opportunity or some idea and we get our fires going a little bit. All right, blah, 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 blah. But everybody in their lives right now too have their own thing, kids, families, jobs, whatever it is and stuff like that. And there are these new hurdles and barriers and you get excited for a second, the thought of it, but no one can just drop everything to commit to it, which is what it takes circling back to the beginning of this conversation to make it happen. And those, I commend those guys Whatever, as they lay dying, uh, um, uh, there's, there's a bunch of them, you know, uh, hmm. that, that, that got it going again, you know, because I know how much that takes. Getting the gear together, setting all that up, just, I'm not talking about just getting together and playing, but getting geared for, uh, you know, a nationwide, let alone a world tour together, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, getting the manners back involved, and there's agents and lawyers and, just all this is just a lot, and mm. um, and we could do it, you know, but it just hasn't happened yet. Oh, that 2017 show took a ton to make happen, and I almost feel like once it happened, then it was just, ah, all right, that's out of the way. You know, <laughs> the night before, the night before or the night of, it was like, yeah, let's do this again. Everybody wants another one. We'll do it every year, blah, 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 but it was so much work. And the and it went so well, obviously, that it was kind of just like this, like, all right, well, we did it. You know, there's it's there isn't as much motivation to try to make it happen again. I mean, we all we all loved what we did. We'd all love for it to be easy to just get together and make new music and stuff. But that's just enormous time commitments, you know, um, and, and all that. And I know everybody's probably that will be listening to this is probably thinking, oh, you fucking baby. Just so what? Just make it happen, whatever. But we we try. We try. The fire just hasn't started yet. It hasn't burned bright yet to, to get all that going or whatever. I think it'd be awesome if it did. Um, it takes more than just one guy wanting to make it happen, though. You know, it's everybody got, got has to make it happen. Um, and it's it's just a lot. No, of course, it, it, perfect analogy, man. Like, yes, exactly. It You know, everyone listening, that analogy perfectly. It's, it is not a simple, hey, let's just go out tomorrow and, and do a 20-show tour. It, it It's not that simple um wanna of course before we wrap things up there's a few other things uh want to talk about one anyone that's followed you like myself knows that you joined for a while the iconic legendary six feet under um with mr barnes himself um yes now first question how did you get into being in the fold of six feet under um, well, I'll, I'll start with, with how I got into them. They came, you know, when, so the bleeding was one of my favorite albums of all time. Camel Corpse is the bleeding. And so just through magazines or whatever, I heard that, that somehow he, maybe he was out of Cannibal Corpse, but he's starting this new band with Alan West from obituary. And I had just gotten like, uh, 
um, world demise or something, you know? And, and uh, so I was into obituary at the time and I was like, Whoa, this could be cool. And then I happened to see they were coming through six feet under was coming through on haunted tour. And I was like, probably like 16. Um, so, but this was the shit. We got the album. It came out, haunted came out and, um, Oh, me and a couple of my buddies, dude. I still, that's still my favorite Six Feet album, uh, Six Feet Under album. Still one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, their first one, and um, I was like, oh my god, they're coming. We're gonna get to see this and whatever. And I was a kid, front row, you know, right in front of Barnes, right up against the barricade, singing every word. And it was the best. Just one of those ones. I mean, jam packed club. It was so awesome. There's that that feeling, you know, it's something that extreme, a metal that extreme when there's when it's just packed like that and everybody's enjoying it. There's a certain camaraderie. It's, it's just, it was it was fucking awesome. So then. Uh, years later, Chimera happens, um, and this is around 05, I think, and um, one of the bands that either submitted for the tour, uh, it, when when a band goes out and headlines and decides what bands are going to open, there's a lot of factors. Um, a lot of the time, bands will submit for the tour, um, you know, man, this is all managers talking and stuff like that, and, and the headliner could pick who they want, um, or maybe the, the headlining band has bands in mind that they want uh, to take out. So I don't remember exactly how that happened, but when it came time, I suggested, hey, what if we took out Six Feet Under, I think, or something. Or maybe it was presented to us, whatever, but we were all over. So I, I that was like a dream come true for me. So um, we're out playing with Six Feet Under, and, you know, we'd hang with those guys every night. I'd watch them on the side of the stage, jam every night and stuff like that. And so, you know, Barnes obviously saw that, and we started talking, and he just said to me one day, um, hey, you know, we should do something someday. And I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, you know. And even if we never would have, uh, just him saying that to me was the best, you know, from, from being that 16 year old kid right up front to now, not only he's opening for my band still just surreal or whatever, but he wants to do something. So it was like six years later, now maybe five years later, um, just got a text one day. He's like, Hey Rob, I'm going to be uh, working on some new six feet under stuff. Would you like to collaborate on it? Yes, I would, you know? Uh, so, and that, that's just kind of how it started. Um, he asked me to write him a song just to, just to see what, what happened. So I did. And, um, he sent it back to me like that night with vocals already. Like he was just, he would just do them so fast. And, um, and we were like, Whoa, you know, this is cool. So then I wrote a couple more and he'd send them back right away. And we, we knew that, that, uh, we were onto something there. And then at that point, um, I had to, you know, like get involved with metal blade and sign a deal. And I started writing, writing the undead record. Um, and I had no intentions of, of touring or anything like that. I was just helping him write and stuff like that. But then he said, Hey, we're going to do some shows and stuff. Would you want to come out? And I'm like, so I said, okay. Um, again, I wasn't really, I just, I hadn't even really considered that. I was super busy with Kamira and, but it happened to be like a downtime or when he suggested to do these shows. And so I was like, all right. So the next thing I know it's announced that I'm, that I'm in the band. Um, and, uh, he, we needed a drummer, and I said, "Hey, what about Kevin Talley?" And, and so, and so that worked out well. And um, I think they needed a bass player too. I said, "I think Matt. I don't know if Matt had already maybe played bass with Fear Factory at the time, but he um, it seemed like a good choice. So it was perfect. I had my guys, you know, that uh, we were ready to go, and flew down to Florida, and uh, we, we rehearsed for a week with Barnes and Steve Swanson, the, the guitar player, and uh, it was it was awesome. You know, we went to Europe and did." Uh, I don't know, handful, dozen shows, something like that, around like Germany and maybe Holland and stuff, and totally awesome. Then we did the Summer Slaughter tour uh, here in the states, and that was cool. But during that tour is when my Camaro world started falling apart, and um, the stress of everything. I mean, I'm like having to, you know, 
deal with lawyers and stuff while I'm on the road. I'm trying to, you know, tour and all this, and I'm signing my life away. And, and you know, it, it was it was it was bad. Like my my lawyer uh, with Camira that I counted on, my guy and everything. I couldn't even consult and stuff in this Camira stuff. And it was just things were just had to be done legally and all this. And, and all that. it was just a horrible time. My world came down on me, and that's and then at that point I had to. Uh, I just said that was it. So when I when I left Camira, I also left Six Feet Under. Um, I still feel horrible about that, you know, um, just uh, leaving Barnes out to, out to dry like that. And um, because it was such a fucking awesome thing, you know, that seriously, I was just like a, like a, a dream come true for a kid that I was, you know, out there. I, I still I would look over and see Barnes on stage like I'm playing. We play a couple corpse songs. I'm playing Strip Baby Strangle, you know, with, with him on stage. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. You know, well, it's got to, you know, not just that, but it's got to trip you out that you can think that, you know, you did an album with him. There is undead there forever. You will have. I think you also wrote. I think you wrote the stuff for Unborn too, did you? I think you helped. Just one song. Oh, one song. Just yeah. one. Song. But yeah, just um, one song. So, but that's just amazing. Like you, it's a fanboy moment to you know. Yes, there was all the stuff going on, but hey, still you played shows with Barnsey. You wrote music with Barnsey. Um, that's something not a lot of people can achieve or get to do is do that stuff with one of their favorite artists that forever is would be an amazing thing for you i know and and, and i know I, I am unbelievably proud of that record and i know barnes was super into the time and it's, it just sucks it it's kind of kind of shelved or pushed to the wayside because of the way that all fell apart and i know that left a, a bad taste in 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 Chris's mouth and metal blade and stuff, you know, that they, they, they invested this and it's just, just, it was, I didn't see it coming. I didn't know that. I, like when I was writing the album and we rec- were recording everything, everything was hunky dory, you know, with, with Camira and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, at that time, um, you know, it was, it was starting, you know, maybe things were starting to fall apart, but there was no, like, I didn't know at, at that time at all that my time with Camira was going to end. It was just, just kind of an uncomfortable as part of that mo- part of that time where we're like, Oh, we got to keep pushing forward sort of thing or whatever. But it was, it was then um, being out on, on tour that summer and that summer slaughter that the, really the, the Camira thing started coming to an end, and that's when things got bad or whatever. So I had a great, great time in Six Feet Under at the beginning, and then towards the end when I had to bail, um, that was a bummer and um, a bit of regret, man. But, yeah, having that having Undead um, is uh, uh, a star on my sleeve, you know. Mm. And clearly music isn't something that you're done with because anyone that follows you or knows is the elite is – one of your is your, is your passion project going at the moment um what's what's the go with that is that literally just you know you know you itch to write things so it's like you know i've got my studio i've got the got the instruments let's just fucking do it um yeah i guess so um the the other guys from the elite uh tj the singer and austin the drummer who came from a band bleed the sky mm-hmm. and uh, then Camira became Camira's drummer we just um just hit it off like when we first met and um, said, let's play some music together. And we did an EP in 2009, the World War III EP. And we always had plans to do more. And so when Camira was coming to an end for me and I knew I was going to build the studio, I said, all right, guys, well, as soon as I do, let's get together and, and make an album. Um, and, you know, we knew we weren't going to have a record deal or anything right off the bat to, to fund a recording or the time to get together to write. I mean, those guys were both from California. And, you know, just to fly out and stay out here, uh, you know, transportation and food and everything for, for a month at a time, you know, what we were writing, we did that a couple different times. We'd write and record simultaneously. Um, so I, I basically 
built the studio with that in mind that I'm going to, so I can make this record, taught myself to record, did all this. Um, and it ended up just taking a super long time. Um, because after my, my funds ran out, uh, you know, after a a year of not working or doing anything, just building a studio and working on the the elite record, um, I had to start then working with, with local bands and things like that and working on other guys' music just to pay the bill. So I had to put the elite aside and it really ended up taking like five years to complete that record. Um, because we could only work on it little bits at a time, which ended up being a blessing because in those five years, I learned a vast amount about recording and, and engineering and all that, where the production quality would have suffered had it come out in 2013, as opposed to 17 or 18, whenever it came out. Um, so, and we, there's, that's another situation where we were fired up to take it all the way, um, to tour and, um, you know, just, just build it from the ground up. But at the time it came, it came out, Austin was tied up with Devil Driver. Um, and I mentioned that he's a Devil Driver drummer. Uh, and uh, so he was tied up with that and couldn't really do anything. Um, and TJ and I also didn't plan for, you know, we spent a bunch of money to make the record. But you need, if you're doing something independently, you need just as much money or more after you make the record to let people know about it, to, to get out there and promote it, to all that, you know. Um, so we were just kind of put all our eggs in this basket of making it. And when it came time and it was done and released, it was just kind of like, ah, now what? So (laughs) I've kind of realized that I love making music and I'm going to continue to make music all the time or whatever. But I think that like starting a new project and getting out there and touring full time and all that, those days are just done for me. You know, Mm. the only, the only, I think, uh, avenue for live performance I have is with the Chimera, uh, engine that's already been built and stuff it's just cranking it over getting it running you know if that's gonna happen um everyone needs to get out if you haven't heard it not only that world war three ep but total destruction which is the album you're talking about um get out scope yep. it um make sure you give it a jam really good stuff um i really enjoy it man um now obviously the youtube the youtube machine that you're now a part of um where the idea come from? Um, why why do it? And then also, um, do you have fun doing it? Because you look like you enjoy it. It looks like you're very at ease talking to a, just a camera for who knows how many long <laughs> hours at a time. So you know what was it? What was it like? Why why YouTube and why a why a conversational video? Okay, well, um, I had a. Uh... Uh, I forget how to say it. A uh, something else in mind. I, I can't. I, there's a, there's a way to say that I can't think of right now. But an ulterior motive. Sorry. Ah, yes. and my my ulterior motive is that also shortly after recording the elite stuff, I recorded an instrumental record with Andals. Is that the disaster? Is, no, that that's that's a different little project. Okay. The, the, I'll just touch on that real quick. The disaster is just just the guy, the Cleveland guy, this guy Matt Demko from the area that came to me to record one day and uh, he was just a singer and, and part of what he needed was songs written for him. So I started writing songs for him and he'd be recording the vocals. We started working together just uh, like on a daily basis with this stuff. And, um, and I really just started liking all the material and it was all material that I, that I'd written for him, you know? So I decided, Hey, well let's, let's just put this out and uh, just as a project. And um, so, yeah, it's just something, like I said, that, that I put a lot of time and effort into that, that I kind of adopted as, one of my projects you know so yeah I, I so i made that whole record um wrote produced it all that all that the disaster the healing process you can check that out too um 
Google.com. But um, yeah, so um, so um, Andals was in town uh, for a little bit, and so I, I I had written a bunch of skeletons, and um, this is back in like 2013, 2014, and so I said, Andals, would you like to drum on this? Um, I have a bunch of songs written. Um, so he he learned the material and he drummed on it, and that's another thing. Just like the Elite record, where we did it, and I was gung ho about finishing it, but I had to put it aside just to pay the bills at home. I had to just you know do my studio work, and because when you're working on your own stuff, you're not making any money. You know, it's just all investment of time that you hope if you put out the record one day that there'll be some return on it. And but nowadays there really isn't any return on it because all the things we've talked about, people are just going to stream it, you know, and you're making, you know, it's just not lucrative. Money for musicians nowadays is is touring and and you know if you can sell T-shirts and things like that. So, and that's a long way up the mountain, you know, before you can actually make it. So it's got to be just purely passion at the beginning. So, um, at any rate, I just haven't been able to work on that. But I love this material, and I know everyone's going to love the material, and I need to get it finished. But to just put the time, like maybe a full month aside to to finish recording when I need to record for it, solos and stuff. I've got all the, all the rhythm tracks done and stuff. I still got to record bass, do all the solos, all that kind of stuff, and then mix it and then have it manufactured and put out. And just all those type of things is just a, still a ton of work to be done on. And I'm not into like doing like a, like a Kickstarter or anything like that. I didn't want to just directly say, uh, here, help me make this and blah, 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 blah. I thought I'm going to do something creative to just make people aware of it um, so that people know that I'm still going to be doing it um, and simultaneously just giving everybody a little bit of what they love, which is, you know, just telling my story about Chimera and talking about all this bottled up Chimera stuff that I said that I hadn't been able to talk about for five years. Um, And so it just felt right. And um, then there's this, this platform called Patreon, which is similar to a Kickstarter, but it's more of an ongoing thing that people can um, become a, a, a patron of my site, Rob Arnold, uh, patreon.com slash Rob Arnold World, um, where they can get involved helping me to, uh, by making a monthly contribution of your choice, um, helping me fund this record. And uh, in return, there are different levels of different perks, but in return, you get the album uh, as soon as it's done. And your name will be listed in there as, you know, uh, an executive producer on the record, somebody that helped make it happen, which I think is a, is, is a cool thing. You know, that um, if you'd like to help me make this record and be a part of it, you can. If not, you don't have to. You can check it out when it comes out or not check it out. Totally up to you. But if you'd like to, there's this avenue to make it happen. So my entire ulterior motive for the whole thing was just to build awareness so that I could finally finish this record. And um, I'm almost to a point um, with enough patrons now, um, you know, the more the merrier, of course. Um, where I can turn that around, where I can shut off the studio business 100% to focus on making this record, which is my intent. Wow, fuck yeah, that's sick. Um, but do you like talking to a camera? Like, do you find that easy? That I do think it's easy. Um, okay. I, you know, I just uh, I've uh, been been doing this, doing interviews long enough now. You know, like <laughs> over years, just uh, it's 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 no problem for me. Um, to do, you know, and uh, I really like the behind the scenes stuff too. I like editing and putting together content and figuring all that kind of stuff out, which is, you know, why I like recording and, and, and all that stuff too. Um, so, um, you know, being on, being on camera is just like being on stage for me, where it's just 
part of the job, you know, like where I, I like making the music way better than I like playing it on stage. Now that rules and everything being up there. And, and you know, the best thing about being on stage is seeing people enjoy it and singing along and stuff like that. But still, I'm not like a guy like, like Jim LaMarca, like a Gene Simmons, you know, sort of thing. Like where it, uh, that's, he just eats it up, whatever. I'd rather be a drummer, like behind the kit, hiding back there or something, you know, like, <laughs> but so that's how I feel about being in front of the camera too. It's just part of it. I'm, I'm, I know I need to get my point across and make a cool video if I can and everything, but uh, I don't, I don't need to have my face seen, you know. It's not. <laughs> now, something you you said there, which I wanted to ask, um, which is an interesting thing. I'd love your, you know, what's your thoughts on the way the industry is? You know, obviously things are different now to what they were, but with the way the industry now is, do you think we've figured all the kinks out, or do you think we're still trying to figure out how it's going to work? Because for a band now. It's a whole lot different to what it was in the nineties. Oh, I mean, that's, we could talk about this forever. Um, I don't think that any kinks have been worked out. Um, now, now this is just my opinion, but the artists aren't getting paid, you know, like for, for all the streaming that it doesn't work out. Um, but people are, are, are going to always make music. And the fact that, Every single day, it becomes easier for everyone to make music, uh, to make better quality stuff. Um, people are just going to keep doing it. So there's no reason for um, anyone on the labels or the streaming, the label, the industry side to make it more beneficial. You know, if, if all the artists, I'm not saying that this is what should happen, but if all the artists stop making music, it would be like, you know, the... Um, the, I guess the wake up call for the, for the people to be like, okay, whatever it is, one thousandth of a penny just isn't enough for, for when somebody listens to your music unlimited as much as they want. Um, there's no going back. So it's not like we can just go back to CDs or go back to the old ways or whatever. But so my point is something does need to be figured out, um, to improve the quality of music, I think, um, because there needs to be incentive everybody's gonna make music like i said but for people to to strive to to make better things um there has to be at least some sort of incentive i think um some some at least possibility of return on your investment you know everybody can invest a little bit of time and make their stuff but if nothing happens with it then they just crawl back go away they either try again or they just get back to reality um you know but to, to really follow your dream and to, to try to really make something happen takes so much time energy money focus teamwork chemistry they all all these type of things or whatever that are really hard to come by and if there is absolutely no money for that in any way or no you know you're basically just handing the product that you spent so much time making over um then i don't think that the bar is going to be raised you know people like taylor swift or justin timberlake or whatever they're already their their infrastructure is already set up they're already uh, or, or you could, they they pass this certain echelon where the where still one hundred one thousandth of a penny, but times a billion is still a lot of money, you know. So they they've they've passed that and they can continue to do that. So the biggest the big ones are still always going to thrive and always be the top of that. But it's harder for for younger bands. Uh, it's harder for labels to you know like just like recording budgets and things like that are just non existent now or whatever um, you know because. Um, I don't know. It's, uh, I, I think there's a lot to be figured out. I don't know what. Though. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see where we're at in 10 years time. I think that's going to be the big thing. Like really interesting. Um, now Rob, what we do to wrap things up is we're going to just 
do some quick fire questions. Um, everyone loves this part of the thing because we find out what makes Rob tick. Um, okay. So you don't have to justify your answer, but some people like to because they're a bit worried when people hear it why they picked one thing over the other. Okay. So. Oh, you my discretion. Would you rather pizza or a burger? Um, pizza. I'd take either anytime. They're both probably my top two favorites, but for the rest of my life, I'd, have to, I'd go with pizza because you can get it a bunch of different ways. Well, I'd say with a burger. Sorry, too much justification. Pizza. <laughs> um, soft taco or hard taco? Hard. I prefer a crunchy. Okay. Smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Um, love them both. Gun to my head, I'd take smooth. I, I, like, I, 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 we have both containers in our cupboard, you know, and I'll do crunchy um, 20% of the time. Okay. Uh, coffee or tea? Coffee. Okay. A beer or whiskey? Uh, love them both. Whiskey. Okay. Uh, do you prefer to cook at home or dine out? Cook at home. Uh, if you were to see a movie, do you want to see it at the cinema or on the couch at home? Couch at home. Okay. Uh, would you rather go to the beach or go to the snow? Beach. Uh, cat or dog? Dog. Okay, nice. Batman or Superman? Uh, not really into superheroes. Uh I don't even know. Um, I just saw the Joker last night, so Batman. Okay. Um, Star Wars or Star Trek? Um, again, not really into either. Don't dislike either, um, but I uh, don't know much about them. Uh, so Star Wars. Okay. Now we're going to get into difficult ones. Would you go Slayer or Pantera? Pantera. Okay. Uh, Cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder? Cannibal Corpse. Okay. Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica. Uh, Converge or Dillinger Escape Plan? Neither. I don't know either of them. I mean, I oh. heard of them. But <laughs> um, Marilyn Manson or Rob Zombie? Uh, uh, again, not a fan of either, but Manson. It's good, though, because we're, we're learning things. Yeah. Don't like these All things. Right. It's good to know. Um, corn or limp biscuit? Uh, corn. Okay. Last I like them both like the same, you know. But for it, and and I, I only like little bits of each one. Now, the last couple. Uh, if you're playing a show, do you want to see stage dives going on around you, or do you want to see mic grabs going on around you? Mm, stage dive. Stage dives. Mark. Assuming maybe it was with Kamira, Mark wouldn't want people grabbing the mic. He'd punch him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> or he'd hit, he'd hit him with the microphone. You know, get the, um, don't get in my space. If you go to a show, are you going to watch it from the sound desk or in the mosh pit? Sound, soundboard. Yeah, it's a better sound, obviously. Um, would you? I'm, I'm too. I want to get hit. Would you rather? Okay, we've got two left. Would you rather tour for the rest of your life or record for the rest of your life? Um, am, am, am I being recorded or am I the recording engineer? So probably I'm being recorded. Yes, if, you're being recorded. Um, 
Yeah, I'd rather, I think I'd probably rather be recorded and go home every you know every night rather than tour for the rest of my life. You know? mm-hmm. uh, last one. Someone's going to give you your all-time favorite album. Do you want it on CD, vinyl, or on your phone? CD. Nice. Um, <laughs> Rob, I know we went over time, but we absolutely smashed it, dude. Absolutely smashed it. Good. I had a good time. Great questions. I really, 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 really appreciate it, man. It's uh, another thing to tick off my bucket list of guests. Um, means a lot. Uh, you're really fun. You went on tangents. Um, really enjoyed every every second of it. I really appreciate it, man. Good, Jeremy. Well, hey, I appreciate uh, you, Karen. After all these years, like I said, that I've been away and everything, and uh, so it's it's great to know that someone still, you know, loves the music like that, you know. So, and I hope. I hope to see you again one day, you know, who knows, you know. Thank you, man. Thank you to all the Australian fans. Thanks for everybody for being on board. And um, cheers, yeah. Had a good time. Legend, I'll speak to you soon, brother. All right, brother. All right, ciao. Peace.
So that was my chat with Rob of Chimera and the Elite. At the end there, you heard Chimera's track Salvation, which is from their self-titled album. You heard Chimera's track The Flame, which is from their album Resurrection. And you heard two tracks from The Elite. Those songs were My Last Murder and Black As Can Be. Both of those come off the album Total Destruction. Now's the part of the show where I spark that bit inside you to get out, support the band, support the artist, all of that jazz. So if you enjoyed the songs of The Elite, if you enjoyed the music by Chimera, any of that stuff, if you enjoyed the conversation with Rob, make sure you get online and support the bands. Stream it, download it, buy physical copies. If you're really into what Rob does and what Rob has to say, make sure you scope him out on the internet and get involved with his Patreon. While I've got time, I need to not forget to thank Rob again. Thank you so much, dude. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Look forward to doing a part two chat very, very soon. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 101. Done, dusted, all wrapped up locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So, If you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.